0: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Hossein so- Nivi. He is the CEO and founder of Pendarum, a company that's doing some really interesting stuff with simulated environments and teaching people through simulated environments. I'll let him explain more. Um, and I just want to welcome you guys to come let me know what your thoughts are on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Stuart Alsop, III. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think of this episode or any of the other episodes I'm doing. Uh, if you do like this episode, go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify by searching for Crazy Wisdom and hitting the subscribe button. Uh, I'd love it if you guys gave your comments as well. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom podcast. Uh, my guest here is Hossein Nivi. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Pandaran Inc. Uh, and Hossein, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: What is Pandaran Inc?
1: Um, the word Pandaran uh, comes from the the root of the word Pandar in Persian language, means think. Pandaran, the thinkers. The, so I'm trying to get to the last art of thinking uh, becoming a kind of a normal everyday for everybody. And we can talk about um, Pandaran a little bit later, but probably we should start by uh, setting up. A few context for that if you don't mind sure um, I, I really like the title of your podcast the crazy wisdom um, uh, makes me feel at home because I at least I can fulfill uh, 50% of it and that's the crazy <laughs> part uh, and the other 50% is for others to judge whether um, it has any wisdom in it or not well we'll, we'll see um, uh, but i I'm gonna also start connecting uh to some um hypothesis that I have uh, before we move forward i'm gonna uh, uh, describe and define few points in the space then I will attempt to connect those points uh to m- provide the context a backdrop and then talk about what is it that we do. Would that be okay absolutely yeah um I think we are about to enter the Age of Wisdom. Um, and because what the hell is that one? Uh, it's kind of a new terminology. Um, and the reason I say that is, um, I think that technologically we are we are at the point that we can do that. Uh, but let me define these pieces. Um, if you look at historically, we have gone, humanity has gone through several ages the dark ages the the stone ages um, and then the middle ages then about some 50 uh, 500 years or so ago um, we started having the knowledge age the scientific revolution uh, which is determining everything we do um, these days everything we own um, it's somewhere um, driven by some technologies and things that has happened in science in the last 500 years. So they call it the knowledge age or the scientific revolution age um, has been for the last 500 years. I think we are entering the wisdom age now and it's changing for probably for the next 550 years or next 100 years, uh, we're going to go through that journey. Probably I will not see it fully uh, in my lifetime but at least we are in the interesting um, beginning of it. And why do I say that? Um, Let me define where we are, why we owe everything to knowledge and science today. Um, 50,000 years ago, human beings went through a cognitive revolution. And the most important thing probably humans have discovered was a sophisticated language for communication. That allowed us to collaborate in an entirely different level than all other animals. And in a short period of 50,000 years, we have been able to wipe out um, all other human species, and there were several of them, um, including Neanderthals. We wiped them out, whether that was a good thing or bad thing, this is what happened, Is that these are facts. Um, and we became very dominant uh, on the planet. In about 10,000 years ago, 12,000 years ago, we went to agricultural change. Um, we were able to capture, encode, and store our knowledge. And we can communicate that to other people. So we have been able to transfer our knowledge. So we, if we learn something about our environment, uh, where the good fish is to, uh, to be fishing, uh, we, we can communicate to others. And there was danger in the area. We can tell others, don't go to that part of the jungle. Uh, there are lions there. Um, and so on and so forth. And we learned about making tools, and we communicated to others to build tools. Um, so we started building. As a result, we accumulated a whole bunch of knowledge. But we were limited to what we could communicate, what we can store in our brain, in our memory. Then at some point in time, we learned how to do writing. And that provided a step function, uh, so we can capture and store them in a different format, much larger than we can contain in our brain. At some point in time, Gutenberg made the machine, uh, the printing machine, so we can replicate those easily rather than just by hand. So expanded it, democratized um, the knowledge. And uh, today's internet becoming at our fingertip, all of the availability of information and knowledge. So that is what happened. So we owe everything to this knowledge. If you really think about it, if somebody drops a bomb that wipes out all of the knowledge on the planet, everything we have, starting from your phones, airplanes, cars, houses, including your clothing, will disappear and find running naked in somewhere in savannah. That's what we owe to the knowledge and capturing and encoding and storing knowledge so we can transfer. So that is the first dot I wanted to plot here. That's how important knowledge is. Interesting. Now, let me um, put this next dot in the form of a question. It's a very simple rhetorical question. What happens to our experience when we die? Hmm. Simple. But it's a very intriguing question. The answer is very simple: it dies with us. Every experience we have in life, it dies with us. Exper- experience is not transferable. Huh. Nobody says I can experience. I can transfer my experience to somebody else. We say we I gained experience. The verb is different. I acquire experience. You cannot say transfer experience. Hmm. In normal language, we don't use that. There is a reason for it because it's not transferable. And now there is a science that can tell us why, and the brain science tells us why we cannot. I use a simple example to make the point. Bike riding. How do you teach your child how to ride a bike? You put them on a bike, and they try it and try it, and they fall a few times, and they learn how to do that. You don't teach them by a PowerPoint presentation. If you don't believe me, try it and see what happens. You can do 100 hours of PowerPoint presentation, nobody learns how to ride a bike. So it goes through different parts of the brain, which brings the experience. The experience that we have, and they call it the tacit knowing, um, and that's coined by Michael Poloni, um, Some uh, in the the 50s, um, that we know a lot more than we can say. Let me just repeat that. It's a very interesting statement. We know a lot more than we can say. If we can say it, that means we have codified it. So knowledge is codifiable, experience is not codifiable in the way we understand codification. The same method of codifying knowledge cannot be used for codifying experience. So if we have lost all of the experience of all human being ever lived, that's probably the biggest loss in human history. And would be really fascinating if we can capture, encode, and store experience. So other people can experience it and gain the wisdom wisdom and judgment comes from experience experience comes from bad judgment and and some wise person uh, some lady i think said that but i forgot the name um, uh, so let me repeat that wisdom or judgment comes from experience, experience comes from bad judgment. That's very, very important. So if we are going to get to the wisdom age, we have to learn how to capture, encode and store experience so other people can gain that experience. What we know about gaining experience, we give our life to gain the experience. That's the way it works. You gain by doing it repeatedly, and you learn that. Mm. Now, technologically, we have reached that with the computer technology and so on, and other technologies included, we can create a simulated version of the real world and go into that environment and live it in a simulated environment you can speed up the time. The clock speed of a simulation, it's under our control. Is not a natural clock speed. You can speed it up ten times. You can speed it up hundred times. So you can gain the experience in an accelerated mode. So you gain accelerated experience. If we and you say what we have done. We have done um, some early experiments um, on doing this. And we have uh, developed a simulated environment, captured experience of about 100 people and integrated all of them and put them into an environment, speed up the time. And people can gain a a version of their experience in about a week. So they encounter the things that other people have done. So they discover the same thing. Does that make sense? Uh,
0: Yes, it does. Absolutely. Uh, And it gives me about I just I've been taking notes and it gave me about uh, 10 different talking points that would probably take about 15 hours to go through all of them. Uh, But uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, like I want to go all the way back to the to the beginning, which is the you mentioned that we're in a historical process where we're going from the age of reason you know we had the age of language which allowed us to transfer the experience and now we're in the age of reason where we're getting really really clear on what knowledge is what do we know what do we not know uh and now we're entering this world where we can then not only get that 10 percent semantic knowledge but also get into transferable experience and wisdom which honestly is somewhat scary to me as well because that brings in these you know these the archetypes of the matrix and uh the the thing that really hit me hit for me for hit me was the limits of reality are not no longer applicable if technology comes in and changes our uh um ability to experience time and space because as you just said like within technology we can speed it up uh so the and you know that used to be a limit there's a limit of time although that also is not necessarily the same limit if we go into practices of meditation, our experience of time changes as well. Um, so there's a lot there. Uh, and
1: it's really an amazing topic uh, when you think about it. Uh, for the last 20 years, I'm dabbling around this and discovering new pieces uh, to it and dis- finding ways to describe it. And if you really think about the real life experience and somebody says I have 30 years of experience, first of all, very often that is not 30 years of experience is for many people, I'm not saying for all, for many people is a one year of experience repeated 30 times. Let's put those aside. And even the people who had variety of experience in 30 years, every day that you go, you don't gain an experience for a day, maybe 10 minutes of it is a new experience. The rest of it is doing what you already do. Mm-hmm. Because we are a habit machine. We do what we are habitually doing all the time. So the things that are new and new experience is a very short duration. Now, in a real, that's a real life. Mm-hmm. Now, in a simulated environment, you can take all of the dead times in between out and put the experiences jam-packed into very short sp- space of time.
0: Well, and so I would argue that there are ways to do it that don't involve technology directly, although the 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 whole opportunity opens up by technology, and that is travel. So when you mentioned that, uh, I, I thought immediately uh, when I when I moved to first well, first it was China. I moved to China for a month and Immediate, And that was the first time where I had an immersive experience, not just kind of going there for seven days, but I was there for a, a month, which you know gets into that habit range. And so all of my habits became unclear. I could not walk down the street with, and communicate with anybody. I couldn't figure out the train system. I couldn't figure out the money system. And this was before Google Maps. This was before everything like that. And that was my first experience of shock. And it was horrifying. But at the same time, it was invigorating and it had that capacity of Changing my relationship to time uh, and then I got addicted to it and I started doing it a bunch of times And then I learned the languages in these different countries um, And I noticed that that language key is is really important because I could it was really difficult for me to learn a language In Santa Barbara where I was studying uh, But when I went to the country, it's like that same thing. It's like every day is full, chock full of Uh, of newness, novelty, which I could not, I eventually did habituate and actually habituated to the whole process itself of uh, cultural immersion and it started to become uh, Habitual uh, which and then I had to figure out other stuff to do with my life Uh, but that that was that was We can do it without technology, but then technology is this play thing that now I'm discovering in my life right now that I, can, I talked with somebody who was born in Tanzania yesterday, uh, and she is running a, a company there, uh, and we were talking about politics in Africa, and it was like I was traveling because I was having this conversation with somebody who, who has these different experiences, and it, it brought me back to that same kind of travel, but technology opened it up because it was on Zoom. Um, anything that pop up from that? Uh,
1: definitely. Technology, for me, is an enabler. Mm. Um, and I, I love technology and I played around with technology quite a lot in my lifetime. I've been very fortunate to to be exposed to technology um, fairly early. Uh, and I have also have similar experience in living in different countries. I'm originally uh, from Iran, so I lived in Iran. Um, then I went to England uh, for my PhD, and so I lived there for a few years completely opened up um, in a new way of thinking um, learning languages l- learning different languages allows you to think differently mm-hmm. um, that's a really an interesting topic by itself um, try to think of anything not using any language mm-hmm. and, and I mean language in a broader sense a picture is a language um, the sound is a language. Uh, music is a language. All of them. Try to think of anything without using language. It's impossible.
2: Well, and
0: so- this and this gets into the into the into what you mentioned before, which is language as technology as well. Uh, and 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 what you just made me think of is that the auditory sense, which is so key to our language ability and the touch sense touches a language as well. Uh, that all of these things probably happened around that cognitive, well, not all of them, All I mean, I guess, you know, some of this has been in process for for hundreds of millions of years since the Cambrian explosion and, uh, and this predation prey, our ability to sense and signal came from all of a sudden things trying to eat us in our environment. Um, and, you know, I'm not talking about us in the human sense, I'm talking about us as cellular organisms. Um, and that this, this this reaction to our environment because things were dangerous uh, is the language itself as well.
1: Right, exactly. So learning a new language allows you to think differently. Um, it, it's really amazing when you do that. Um, you cannot translate one-to-one. Um, I'm, 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 I read, for instance, Omar Khayyam in Persian language. Mm-hmm. Then I read the English uh, translation. I say, it just doesn't, connect for me in the English Um, in English. Yeah. And I'm sure maybe it's because English is my second language. I don't get it. I'm not good at English poetry reading. Um, Maybe it's because of that, but it is very difficult because there are, there is tremendous amount of context for every word. You cannot translate exactly the word from one language to another. It has different connotation, each one of them. Uh, it has a different meaning. So the language is important. Now, how, how do we bring all of these pieces together? Um, is if we, we we what we are trying to do, and but in terms of technology, is how do I capture and encode? And that that's the word encode is very important. Um, how do we do that? And store it in a place. And when you think about it, and people always think, okay, capturing and encoding is in the form of a book, is in the form of a picture, is in the form of a video. You cannot do that for experience. It, it, it is not codifiable in the sense of knowledge. So we have to find a different way of codifying it. So we create an environment with props and stuff and create the same emotions and the same way of thinking in that environment. You need to have a kind of a physical space to create that. Someday we can do it all all by a virtual reality type stuff and put the goggles on um, to see that. But at the moment we have it, uh, it's present, Um, they do that. It creates reality for people in that environment. It boggles my mind, I would have never thought about it until I saw it, that the reality of people in that environment changes and they get sucked into that simulated environment. They feel it is real. And I had an opportunity to sit in a flight simulator. And um, in fact, it was a flight simulator for a helicopter to... Take a helicopter off the ground, move it around, um, uh, go around and do things and land it and so on and so forth. It was 45 minutes, and I had an expert um, friend of mine sitting um, next to me, uh, so was guiding me how to do that. And 45 minutes later, that's a memorable experience. i never forget that. I was sweating at the end of it, out of excitement. And my focus was so much not to crash the helicopter. I was completely engrossed into that simulation. For me, it was absolute real. And if we can create those, that for people to experience something intensely, we learn only when we are focused. Mm. And there's a good book by, Daniel Goldman, um, uh, who uh, coined the terminology of uh, emotional intelligence, is a Harvard professor. Um, And the title of the book is Focus. That's the whole book is all about human focus and how important that is. If if people are not focused, they are not learning. And our educational system is anything but providing (laughs) focus for people. How many times you have, I have tons of pictures on the internet about training that people are asleep, their head on the table, they're completely bored. That means they are not learning anything. Mm. So it's a waste. We need to think differently. We spend 16 years to get a bachelor's degree, 12 years to just finish the high school. How much of that do we use? How much of that people remember? All the study and research is about 10% of that you remember. So you really should get a credit for 1.6 years rather than 16 years. Oh. So you should be able to uh, finish college in when you are about six and a half or seven and a half years old. <laughs> if that's all you can remember, I'm not saying that is it's that's doable, That's what you actually get credit. So we spend the prime of our life. And what do we have to show? Not as much. I'm not saying this is zero. I'm not saying it is useless. I'm not saying all of that. But it could be a lot better. If we improve the effectiveness of our education. From 10% making 11%. That is a 10% improvement. If you make it from 10% to 20%, that's 100% improvement. That's a knowledge side. If we add experience to it, then really it creates a, a step function in human civilization. Mm. The experience, and these are researched and studied, 10% of what you need give and take in life is about what is called explicit knowledge anything that's codifiable, and we call it as learning and education. 90% of what you need is experience. And they broke it down into what is implicit, that is not completely codified, but is implicit, we understand it um, by implication. And the most important part is the 70%, which is called tacit, tacit knowing. And, and that I, goes to different part of the brain. It goes to the old brain. And it I've got to engage the whole brain. Go ahead.
0: I've got a question about that because our whole system is set up to credential that ten percent uh, explicit knowledge, but that seventy percent can't be encoded, uh, and then therefore also can't be credentialed. Is that correct?
1: Uh, it can be credentialed. Interesting. We have to wait to change the the way we think. Hmm. Is um. Let me let me put it in this in this form. Um, go to a surgical table. Do you want a um, surgeon who has <laughs> aced all of the exams and have an A in all of them and have the certificate to show, or you want the surgeon who's done that operation five hundred times successfully, most of it recently?
0: Yeah, yeah, obviously. Which
1: one of them you pick?
0: The second one, obviously.
1: Obviously. Yeah. Do you want a pilot the same way? Yeah, it, it is the experience that we know it value. Mm-hmm. That is what's valued. Mm-hmm. We know that in society. That's why we don't let the doctors, because they pass exams, go and practice. We put an internship in front of it, so they have to go and practice and learn. And they make a lot of mistakes as a result. And and uh, we should at some point probably talk about healthcare because that's another area that I'm uh, I'm trying to address by using the same methodology and see how we can improve the healthcare. Um, But it is, can we get the doctors to gain experience a lot faster than they are doing today? Mm. And technology exists in the olden days and still still they do have cadaver to open up and the practice on cadaver. Today, you can go to virtual reality and get such a resolution and detail of a human body that you could never get it from a cadaver. So you're really enhancing the experience rather than reducing it. It, In some areas, gets a lot better. Let me give you another example. Uh, flight simulator for pilots. From 1940s to early 90s, of the aviation accidents was due to pilot error, 65%. When we introduced a realistic flight simulator in the early 90s, that number dropped to 30%, less than half, and continuously going down. Today, pilots, they must go to a flight simulator every year to get recertified the things that you can do in flight simulator far exceeds the reality of flying experience because you can have things that never happens or happens very rarely you can repeat it 10 times in a flight simulator the things that happens once every 10 years you can do it in 10 minutes mm. so this is and you can repeat it
0: this is really interesting, uh, so it's it, flight simulators were the first thing where this happened, and you you know Pandaram seems to be also you're expanding this to other things. What are some things that are not able to be what are some experiences that are not able to be transferred in this way that you're talking about?
1: Good question. I really haven't given a lot of thought of the things that we cannot do um mm-hmm. because the things that we can do and we should do, Uh, it occupies uh, (laughs) practically all my my, my life and my time. And I'm going to make it a small dent in this. It's not that uh, I'm going to solve this problem by myself. I'd like to have 100,000 other people to join and do a similar work. But at least we are trying to get the fundamental science behind how we do that. What's the philosophy? What's the science behind this? How do you replicate these kind of things? We have developed an industrial version of this. Mm. Um, I've had several thousand people have gone through it, uh, including fairly sophisticated people um, who are in aviation industry, for instance. Department of Defense, the, uh, Naval Aviation is one of our largest customers. And the, and, and I'm talking about the, the industrial uh, portion of it, that they are in maintain, major maintenance of um, jet fighters and helicopters and so on. Mm. So they learn how to run their operation better. Uh, So they've gone through it, and every one of them, practically, I would say 95% of them, they said, this was the best learning experience they ever had. Mm. They call it, this is a boot camp for your brain. Mm. Very, very intense, very emotional, and they walk away with a tremendous amount of learning in a very short period of time, in five days, which is long days, fifty to fifty-five hours um, in in five days. Uh, so they walk out with a with a great experience at, at the end of it. That they can they can go and do something with it.
0: Well, and now we are. Go ahead. Uh, so the, there's a so that you mentioned one thing. There's there's two things I really want to get to, which are more meta and kind of overarching. But you mentioned one thing I do want to talk about, which is uh, the. I've been learning from uh, "Behave," the book "Behave" by uh, Robert Sapolsky, that the main way that we learn something uh, is the intensity of the emotion uh, associated with it. So when I went to these other countries, that emotional experience was so intense that I learned. Like I have, I have images like, burned in my mind from from these emotional experiences. Most of us do. A lot of trauma actually happens. Like trauma that makes us learn. It's that's you know that's the thing that makes us learn really well. Stress is the thing that makes us learn really well. Um, and so that emotion, and then the other interesting thing is that we have this system in our body called the autonomic nervous system, uh, which is mostly uh, auto- uh, automatic. Um, and it doesn't affect what we feel, but it affects the intensity of what we feel. And this is kind of a tangent, but that when we experience something and our autonomic nervous system is in a stress situation it's very stressed and our stress response is in a chronic state of stress meaning that it's not adapting and that we're kind of always stuck in this state uh then it's that autonomic nervous system isn't doing its function um and is making us just kind of stressed out which is like a lot of people on this planet right now are constantly stressed and this is why the media is so uh dangerous uh, is because it's like another stressor that's like oh the world's gonna end the world's gonna end the world's gonna end um, and and it's just like most people are going crazy because they're they're stuck in this stress response all the time. It's a little bit of a tangent, but I don't know if you want to go into that.
1: Uh, definitely, uh, I can go any direction you like. These are some of the topics I've uh, spent a lot of time thinking about it um, about the stress um, that that we have in in the current society, and and that's absolutely true. And it is. It is a micro stress that we create all the time. If you really think about it, early human being had the stress, but they had an stress, either they were chasing for food and they were hungry, they needed for their survival to get food, or they have been chased by another animal to become a meal for them. Mm. So they survived, so the stress didn't have no stress. Once they got the meal, sit and sleep, that's fine. Great. Today, we we do not have that kind of an stress of being eaten by a tiger, but we have continuous stress. And evolutionarily, we are not geared to deal with it. There is not a period of detox for us. Mm. Uh, and that not having that detox period, it just breaks down everything. Well, we need... We it, need to learn how to do that, and you, you talk about meditation. Meditation is a very, very good way of detoxing yourself.
0: And that's what I was going to say: is that that the 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 detox is no longer like you know maybe it is for go away for ten days and 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 meditate. I, I think the detox is now how can I change my attitude towards stress? Because you know if I really look, if I really inquire into my experience, I am not the the thing being observed. So I'm not the I'm not this thing that I call Stuart that is that is moving around throughout this day. I'm the one witnessing that the, the all of that stuff, uh, and that took me a long time to, to realize that whatever appears in front of my awareness is not actually me. I'm the thing being aware of it, um, but that part is not ex- describable in language. Although I'm having a poor attempt at at, at actually describing it. Um, it's, it's it's it can only be experienced as you say, uh, and that's you know the 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 meditation, all these focus techniques that people confuse with meditation aren't actually meditation. Meditation is kind of inquiring into that thing that is aware of all these different phenomena that are experienced that are arising inside of my experience.
1: You, you did, nailed it exactly right. Yeah, we we need to step back and. Observe ourselves as an entity above in the space, looking at what is it that we are doing, and don't get too uh, hung up in uh, details as so, 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 uh, the, the famous saying is that don't sweat the details. Mm-hmm. they are not that important. Don't spend all of your time getting all of the irrelevant details in your life. Look what, what, is, what are your priorities? Your priorities is your health. And your family's health mm-hmm. and safety; those are the priorities. Uh, having a better car with the better features is not as important as having health. Mm-hmm. The, the, the people completely lost all of those. But all of but I'm, what you are saying and I'm saying is easier said than done. Yeah. There, there is there are enough words of wisdom on the planet to cover everything. Just doing them is, is yeah. hard.
0: Well, ooh, let's get into that. So, going back to that question, what are the things that can't be transferred with using your technology? What is the relationship? Can we teach meditation or can we teach uh, this experience of observing through what you're through Pandaram or the technology you guys are developing?
1: Um. And in in, in organizational um, metaphor, if we use it in environment, organization, they want to change the culture. For individual, they want to change in individual behavior. Mm. Um, so, how do you change these steps? And everybody talks about it. There's lots of lots of books written about it. That's how you do it. Um, I've simplified that uh, after about twenty years of not being able to describe it properly and finding it up. Mm-hmm. I think I finally have a reasonable explanation that I'm happy at least for this week and I change my mind next week probably. <laughs> um, is human being is a habit machine. And that's very, very important. It's a good book. It's called the uh, um um uh, habits. Uh I forgot the exact name. Um I, I will I will text you the um the, the title of the book and the author. Um We are a habit machine. Human being or habit machine. You really think about it, we have each one of us have thousands and probably tens of thousands of habits that drive us. And that is very important. Without those, we will not survive. We cannot analyze every situation every day. Otherwise, we will not live. We will die. We cannot get food. We cannot get anything done. So we human being is a habit machine. To change the culture, you need to change the habit. To change the habits, habits are driven by our behavior. So we need to change the behavior. Behavior is driven by the structure we live in. So a structure drives the behavior. Behavior over time creates the habits. Habits is a foundation of the culture or personal growth. This is a kind of a bunch of uh, hocus-pocus, words of wisdom, whichever way you want to look at it. But doing it, it is a hard, hard work Mm -hmm. to change the structure of your life. And you have to know what the structure means, which is by itself is another thing. Structure is not one thing. And and in fact, one of the things that we teach in, in this one week, we tell them all of these the first day, but they have to discover it viscerally, internally themselves. Mm. So they own it rather than somebody tell them. That's why one of the fallacies of our current education is just because the teacher, uh, they call it, mm. we impart knowledge and they assume that the other side got it. They don't. They can recite it, but they, they don't got, get it. They cannot practice it. Is By the end of it, they get viscerally, they own it. You need to create an environment for learning. That combines experience and knowledge in the same place. So when they walk out, they walk out with an, a skill to practice what they learn. Mm-hmm. That is very important, uh, and that's what's missing from our current education. As a former educator, I uh, was a uh, both at some point in time early part of my career was university professor. Some latter part I was the dean of college of business. Um, it really, it's a broken system. I mean, I cannot say enough things which are wrong with this system. I'm a guilty as charged. I've done it, been there, uh, and I've made a small attempt to see if I can change it, and uh, did not succeed. Very clear failure. So I had, I had a joke for that. I said, what's the difference between... Uh, Ten-year professor and a terrorist. Uh, the answer is you can negotiate with the terrorists.
0: <laughs> it's, try it, to
1: do that with a professor, ten- yeah. especially ten-year professor.
0: Good luck. It goes. It goes back to that uh, essentially p- uh, power and and the way that 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 power can corrupt an individual without that individual really realizing that any sort of corruption has happened. And I'm not saying that power always does this, but I'm saying that 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 is the that is the. Uh, the evergreen temptation of power to basically go into ignorance of what is going on.
1: Yeah, it, it is the tremendous opportunity. If we can start changing the way we think, hence the word Pandora, mm-hmm. uh, change, change the way we think and experience different things, to gain the, a skill sets to practice it so it becomes a habit for us, mm. and that habit is drives our life. If you go and meditate once, you're not become calm. You have to practice it regularly. It's like the same way as if you go to a gym and lift a dumbbell three times, you don't build muscles. You have to repeatedly do that. So, so all w- of those are important.
0: I would, I would, I would say that for probably eighty percent of people on the planet, that is true in terms of meditation. In terms of barbells and exercise, that is true for everyone because of the physical limitations of the body. But in terms of awareness and meditation, I would say that there is a easy method, uh, and that easy method is very difficult to describe because it won't happen to most people it's not available to most people but there are some people who immediately get it and there is no because this meditation thing it's this meditation is not something that can uh uh it it isn't most people confuse meditation with concentration techniques concentration methods but those methods are essentially only pointers to the thing itself um and this meditation is something that uh is is beyond the conditioning that we're talking about this this uh, habitual formation. So there there is a way to Do it quickly and I want to mention that because if people don't, aren't aware that there is this easy method that is able to switch the who you identify very quickly and pull it out from this identification with the personality or with the thing that it is possible to Go back and look immediately like right now you can you can see What is observing? and identify with that as opposed to be identifying with the thing that's being observed.
1: You're absolutely correct. Um, I, I'm, I'm a very, very beginner in, in, in this domain. Mm. Uh, and I'm learning a ton from both my sons. I'm, I'm extremely lucky to have uh, two sons that are super smart and super accomplished individuals. Uh, one of them you probably know, Barb, um, who is a uh, founder of uh, CoinMine. Uh, that's his la- latest company that he has started, and he had a few other companies before. Um, and he does that. And my other son uh, goes by the name Nivi, which is my my last name. He is known by by Nivi. He's a co-founder of Venture Hacks and AngelList. Um And I, and I'm learning from both of them, uh, especially from my son. Uh, uh, Goes by the name Nibby, he uh, introduced me recently to a, a another meditation techniques that he uses, um, which is long and he's doing that right now um an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon mm. um, when we sat down very simply. it is so simple, and the first time I did it, I did it for an hour and twenty minutes. Wow what is it uh, so is it, 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 just sit down and don't do anything yeah. <laughs> It, yeah. it, it is if I summarize it is that way. Yeah, it's, sit down and don't do anything. Be comfortable, sit straight, yeah. and if you focus is fine, if you don't focus is fine, you go brain goes here or there, it's perfectly okay. Yeah. But it will really calm you down. You can do that every day, you can do it for a period of time, and you learn of gaining control of your own mind. Yeah. Um it is we are at very earliest stages of understanding human brain. Yep. And it's most of our learning about human brain is really in the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. It, it, what we learned about human brain in the last 25 years far exceeds the rest of the history of humankind. Yeah. So we are really this most sophisticated machine that we know. Uh, we are learning about it just now. In, in, it's exploding field.
0: Yeah. And this brings something that i found really interesting in my recent recent research is that the, the neuron, this thing that we associate and say the brain is the neuron is really interesting because that only makes up about uh, 10% of the tissue um, uh, inside of our brain. The other 90% is made up of things called glia. Um, and they're a connective tissue that kind of surround these neurons and uh, uh, do all these supporting functions and all these different things. but the research has all been doing on the neurons. Um, and so we think that's the meat. And of course, like neurons are play a huge role in the, the connection between neurons is extremely in, interesting and important for, for what's going on. But there's this almost unexplored territory, which makes up 90% of the brain, which might actually hold the keys to consciousness itself, to understanding what is consciousness, because that is not a solved problem. Nobody's figured that out. Um, and, uh, and so it's really interesting. Have you, have you researched the glia or astrocytes at all?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm again. Uh, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I'm, uh, most of my reading these days is about uh, brain, how the brain works, about neurocognitive science, neuropsychology, um, behavioral economics type psychology, and all of those books. So That's mostly what I'm learning, and I'm learning from each one of them uh, in the context of how do we incorporate this into a learning environment. Uh, so. That if if I use this phrase if you think learning has got nothing to do with your brain you need to examine your brain our current educational system is not designed for human brain it is designed for the convenience of the teacher not for the learner and people may have an issue with that, that's a fact we have tried to find the lowest common denominator so we can find the cheapest way of getting the certification to people it doesn't mean the people are not smart but we have designed the structure of the system is wrong so these people that's the only thing they know that's the only thing they learn that's the only thing that they will do we need to change the way they think to change our educational system we need to design it for human brain. At the moment, human brain has to fight to get stuff inside the brain. Mm. And it's hard, it's boring. It requires tremendous amount of energy and its effectiveness is about 10% only. So if we change the method, and that's what we do, change the method, it becomes a lot easier for human brain to absorb it. They suck it in. And the examples that you use about the glio, you're absolutely right. And these are new discoveries and we're learning say, what's the role of that? How do they do? What is it that they do? Is that what's the importance the role of that? And they study the brain of Albert Einstein and find that he doesn't have any more neurons than anybody else. Exactly. What happened to have more glio than than the other uh, than average Glier- does that mean yeah. that that was a key we don't know we, yeah. we just don't know yeah. uh, this is a uncharted territory we are learning, and we need to learn, experiment, and be a true scientist. don't get fooled by um our wishes um see what works and what does not If the evidence shows that it does work, yes, it does work. if the evidence if if I do something. And I love it to work, and I find the result is not, I throw it out. I learned that skill. I'm not going to fall in love with my own ideas. So, uh, and that's a hard skill. Yeah. Because we really do love our own ideas. <laughs> I did. constantly change it. As I said, next week I can change my mind. And when the facts change, I change my mind. I'm not too sure about the rest of the people, but that's what I do.
0: So in, we got the we got about five minutes left, and I want to, um, if it's possible, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, but I'd love to run through it. like say I'm somebody from the DoD Department of Defense, and I go through your program. I'd love to understand like using these language to encode uh, just the representation of the experience, because as we've discussed, we can't actually transfer the experience. But I'd love to get a kind of like a, a visual understanding in my mind of what happens through Pandaram.
1: So um, these are not the thing that I usually talk to the customers or potential customers about, about brain science and all of that. They don't care. They they care about what is in it for them, what uh-huh. results they're gonna get out of this. Yeah um what what we do at the moment, we have the product, a couple of products which are in that space, is an operation. If you really think about everything that we do, what most of the things that we do is has an operational element whether it is a pizza shop or jet engine manufacturing or a hospital has an operational element and let me define what is an operation operation is about processing material and information that's it is a flow of material and information and people and systems process them and If you look at all of these flow, you will find there is a tremendous amount of waste and wrongdoing and mistakes Mm -hmm. happens in that process. Who can solve those problems? And there are people who sit down and try to design a better system. These are large, complex systems. Whether they are aircraft manufacturing or a hospital, I call them large complex system and there is a science for large complex systems it cannot be designed from top-down economy is a large complex system cannot be designed from top-down yes those who have tried it and failed called Soviet Union mm. so it fails you cannot design it so it has to be done from ground up from by the people who are in that environment, they need to improve their own operation. Mm -hmm. So what we do for them, we teach them the skills to solve their own problems. Rather than we solve their problems, although we do help them initially, they learn the skill to solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. One, effectively, that's the most important part. Two, efficiently. So I call this is a pure problem-solving for them. And problem-solving is the mother of all problems. If you change an organization to a problem-solving organization, whether it's a military or private sector, and we have lots of private sector uh, customers too, turn the organization to become a problem-solving. They will take over all of your competitors in no time. That's where the focus of the company should be. Mm-hmm. It's not about putting a part A on top of part B or putting from in-basket to out-basket. The job of every individual is, every day part of the job is to improve it. it. means identifying problem, solving those problems. And that is not easy <laughs> because there are many, many techniques to do that. Some of them effective, some of them not. Even the ones which are effective, it takes too long because they are not efficient. So it has to be, they have thousands of problems. So the method have to be very fast, very quick to get to results. Mm -hmm. That's what they learn when they go through this one week to become problem solver for their own organization.
0: I'm essentially that's
1: a value proposition.
0: Yeah, I'm essentially as you explain that I'm getting a impression and it happened last time we spoke to I'm getting this uh, visual visualization of essentially a it's like an escape room uh, but targeted but basically targeted towards employees at large complex systems are you familiar with this
1: primarily room? yes yes yeah. and we have had people who individually they went through this and then and you learn about your own life yeah. and many people they said have two elements they say this impacts my own personal life. I'm going to change the way I behave in my personal relationship with my family. At the same time, they're going to say, okay, I'm going to change the way I behave at work. And I'm going to become problem solvers. And they have shown me examples of what they do. Ten years later, I run into somebody who takes the class. They can talk about it and they can give examples of what they did. And they remember all of it they got that each em- education that you remember that yep.
0: um, so to yeah to, to wrap up I, I want so I, I like to do what I like to do at the end of each conversation is essentially uh, reflect on the conversation with with the guests and turn I, I have three questions that I think represent our entire conversation um, and I, th- I would love to. I'm going to share my questions with you, and then I'd love to get your three questions about what you think we, what you think the result. Of, basically, I want to take our conversation and encode it into questions. Um, does that sound like fun?
1: Go ahead. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll see what I can say.
0: <laughs> uh, and then I want to share these on Twitter afterwards if you're up for it. I'll, I'll share. So I sure. think I think the the most. In th- uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of questions that we talked about. So. Can we transfer tacit knowledge? Can we capture, encode, and transfer experience? Is experience Um, codified? I'm sorry. Uh, Is experience codified in language? And then, how do you train people to navigate large, complex systems? How do you teach people to solve their own problems? Those are some of the questions that I think we talked about. What do you think we talked about?
1: Uh, I I think we did, but I need to um, kind of. correct some of the terminologies Um, one uh, experience is codifiable Uh. but not the way we define codification the way we define codification is in the form of a sentence about a picture about the audio about a video any of those four? no it is not You can codify it by creating a similar scenario and put people in that environment to experience the same thing. Um, If you are a trackie, uh, a Star Trek, if you remember the Wrath of Khan? Yes. Beginning of the movie, um, it was a training session that the lady is sitting there in the captain's chair and the scenario they created is Famous is called Kobayashi Maru uh, and she encounters some situation, has to go to a neutral zone and find that the, all the signals were false and there were enemy uh, spaceships there and they blow everything to pieces. So everybody got injured and the whole uh, spaceship enterprise got blown away and Mr. bar Conductors, everything else died as a result. But that was a training session they showed that that is they is possible to do that that's a very good analogy to what we do that was a 23rd century version of training we build the same thing in 21st century so you can experience something that will never forget when you figure out what to do the other terminology that i, I need to correct experience is not transferable experience can be gained that's very very important for a while i was using transferring experience and i realized that's not possible because the way we codify things and we define we use the word transfer it is for knowledge and if we use that we are misguiding people mm-hmm. so you can gain experience um you can acquire experience that's a far part that i um that I needed to correct. What were the other parts that you asked?
0: Uh, so, how do you train people to navigate large complex systems? How do you teach people to solve their own problems?
1: Yeah. Um, create a scenario, s- simulation that, in a limited space, they can see the total system. If I put it very, very large complex systems in there and throw people in there, that will be real world. They cannot see everything. So, Condense the real world into an, a smaller environment, you put thirty people in there to run a company. each one of them have a different job function to run an operation. so they will see and they will encounter problems. what they're going to see they're going to make mistakes because they use their background, their knowledge, their experience to do things the way they do, and as a result, failures. Mistakes. You bring those mistakes; those become an opportunity for them to solve the problem, so that doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. We create they create a, a list, long list of issues or long list of problems that they need to solve, and they need to solve those very quickly. So they have limited time, time pressure to solve those problems. They learn that they need to become a team to be able to solve. Initially, they start competing with each other or competing department by department later. Then they realize they need to really come together, gel as a, uh, one unit, and solve the problems together. Break it down to simple stuff so they can solve the problem. And they will see the progress. They do things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. They learn. We don't teach anything. We don't teach them how to solve, to do things. They discover all of them. They practice all of them. They learn the skill sets of problem solving in a simulated environment. And they practice it enough so that they can gain some confidence in themselves when they go to real world to do it. And we do have a follow up uh, with the companies. So initially when they wanna solve problem, They need a coach like everybody else. Mm -hmm. They need the coach. We go there and quickly, in a matter of day and a half, two days, solve a major problem in the real world with them. They do it two or three times. They gain confidence that they can do it and they can do their own. That's how they become problem solvers.
0: Very cool. Um, So this has been a huge pleasure. And uh, if people want to find out more about you or Pandaram, how can they find out more?
1: um pandaran.com um uh, we have a website and um, pandaran is spelled p-e-n-d-a-r-a-n um dot com um they can look that and um, but again our website we are talking about experience It's very difficult to put experience on a website <laughs> we, we can have some information at least they, they know the scheduled uh classes that we have uh we have open classes and we can take our simulation to any environment and most of the time we take it to the near customer site. When they want to train several hundred people, we take it to the near their facility so people do not have to travel uh, to ours. Um, we deliver it near, near their site, uh, but we, do, uh, we, we, can, we have the ability to do that. Or we can have open classes that we run usually in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, and they can attend uh, those classes. Those are scheduled um, uh, on our website. Uh, the other ones are kind of closed because of specific to each of the companies.
0: Oh, interesting. So you guys offer uh, classes to the public in Ann Arbor.
1: Correct. Yes, Very cool. we do. And the, these are usually multi-companies. Uh, some companies, uh, their operation does not allow to take uh, 30, 40 people off their operation at the, for a whole week. That um, they cannot do that. Large places they can, smaller places they cannot. Uh, so they send five, six, eight people to the class. So we combine two or three different companies, uh, and it's really interesting that they learn from each other. Mm. In the class, everybody learns from everybody else. Mm. It's not that they are learning just from us. They become buddies. It's like they have gone to war together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so become really, I've seen that they go on vacation after this together, and, and they become connected together.
0: That's so cool. Well, thank you so much. This has been a huge pleasure and I want to do many more uh, of these cuz I feel like we did we only got to maybe like 1% of all the things we could talk about. Um, but uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you very much. One one thing that I wanted to talk about and we didn't get in probably next time we can talk about we are trying to do the same thing for healthcare. Mm. Well, healthcare as as an operation, not not the medical side of it.
2: Yeah.
1: If you really think about the healthcare um, is a big operation side. is a flow of patients, material, and information into a hospital system. So we are simulating a hospital, a value chain in a hospital. We are in the in the process of uh, developing that with a cardiovascular surgeon. That's something we can talk about and uh, why why that is so important. Uh, I'm trying to tackle the healthcare industry, which is in the U.S. alone is about three trillion dollar industry is the largest item in our GDP and mm. the second item is the education which is one and a half trillion dollar so yeah taking and the big big months. picture we are very very small company we are very pu- puny company we're trying to uh, pioneer the field
0: uh-huh. well and that's and that's uh, the healthcare one has got me because I, I just recently did an interview with somebody uh, who is in that administrative role and has an interesting niche um, opportunity that that is really interesting? So yeah, healthcare is is that administration that's just so big and um, what's the word? It's like this uh, Kafkaesque, um, and I'm I'm sure your your uh, system might be make it a little bit less Kafkaesque, but
1: that that is good, and I love Kafka, lot, but. <laughs> Read some of his book when I was a lot younger.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Hossein. It's been a huge pleasure.
1: Uh, Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity, uh, Stuart. It's great talking with you. Thank you.